You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ family of churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. It's great to see the West Side Church. Uh, we missed you guys last week. Carrie and I had to fly out last minute for a, a family, uh, close friends emergency, and it all worked out well. We're really grateful to stay, but... Uh, I uh, heard Justin's sermon. He did a great job, and it was great to hear just a full house. I know the, the college students are getting ready at Pepperdine to start school, and they're moving in, and a lot of activity going on. Amen. And so it's exciting. I know uh, my son, my 11-year-old, starts junior high this week and had orientation, and that's always a big thing. I know uh, a lot of students are starting high school, and, and it's, it's the start of the fall. So there's a lot of energy going, and I know a few of us are getting in our, our vacations for you. If the summer hasn't quite ended, you got to get that vacation in, and then we're off into a great fall. But uh, I'm grateful to be here, super grateful for the West Side Church and uh, what you guys have been doing and how powerful uh, our influence has been in the ministry. We're so grateful for uh, the things we're seeing. And there's some good news I want to share with the congregation. Uh, we have amongst us uh, three new engaged couples. Or they're online or they're watching, but they're part of our congregation. And I want to highlight them. We first welcome back from his travels around the world, Billy Wynn, and he's engaged to Rose. So congratulations, Billy. And then a new brother that moved down from Seattle. He's part of our, our, our young professionals ministry. He got engaged to his girlfriend, uh, Caroline. That's Garrick and Caroline are engaged. And then on Thursday, um, a lot of you saw this on social media, but our own Ron Harris and Elizabeth Chow got engaged. So right now, Ron, is uh, he got engaged and then he flew off to Lebanon, where there's a lot of turmoil over there. So he's, you know, testing the faith and trust of Elizabeth already. And uh, But I know they're doing awesome. We have three of our um, members of our church also serving on a Hope uh, Singles Corps in Lebanon right now. I really encourage that Jesse Lee and Midge and Ron are over there serving and really helping us strengthen that community that we support, so many of you support, uh, through special missions. So super grateful for that. Let's go to God in prayer as we continue our series today on trust. We're doing a, a, a several months on this concept of built on trust because we realize how crucial that is for us to have the impact we want. Let's have a prayer. Father, thank you so much for this time to gather to study your word. Father, we want your word to speak to us. We want to hear your message and help us become all that you intend for us to be as individuals. You have a plan for each of us. We know that, Father. We know that uh, our world can erode our trust. Uh, our media can erode our trust. Uh, people around us can hurt us, and it erodes our trust. And, Father, we want our relationships to be built on trust, and we want our faith to be built on trust. Bless this lesson. Open our hearts today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stephen M. R. Covey said that there is one thing that is common to every individual, every relationship, Every team, every family, every organization, every nation, every economy, and civilization throughout the world, one thing, which if removed, will destroy the most powerful government, the most successful business, the most thriving economy, the most influential leadership, the greatest friendship, the strongest character, and even the deepest love. On the other hand, 
if this one thing is developed and leveraged, that one thing has the potential to create unparalleled success and prosperity in every extension and dimension of life. Yet it is the least understood, one of the most neglected, and one of the most underestimated possibilities of our time. And that one thing is trust. Trust is crucial in our relationships. Trust is crucial in business. Trust is crucial for any organization. Our entire economy is built on trust. We trust. You know, our, our, our money says on it, in God we trust. Now, I don't know if everybody necessarily believes that, but people have continued to trust the dollar amazingly for many years. And so still it's the reserve currency. And um, there has to be trust for our interactions to take place. It's a very, very important part of our life. The challenge is that trust can easily be damaged, can it? And last week, Justin talked about how our culture and our culture is built often on lies. There's so many lies. I know for me, last year, I, uh, I stopped trusting the media. I mean, I think I used to trust it, but I, now I just read everything and try to, I, I just, I don't really trust what I read in print. I have to look beneath the surface, read multiple viewpoints, and I try to ultimately formulate my opinion based on the wisdom of multiple guides. You have to be careful of what you're seeing and hearing. And certainly if you read it on Facebook, it means it's true, right? Not all the time, right? I'm sure we tell the truth in our Facebook post, but there's a lot of crazy stuff out there. You know, trusting God is really what we talked about last week. Justin talked about if you hold to the words of Jesus, it'll produce a, a life that's a blessing. It demonstrates a trust in God. If you hold to his teachings, then you're going to end up having a solid foundation even when the wind and the waves come. And the wind and the waves if they haven't come, they're coming. And they're going to come again and again and again. That is part of our life. There will be challenges. And yet there's a foundation we can hold to. Something we can put our trust in to keep the essential things solid in our life. You know, one of the things I want to talk about today as we transition our trust lesson is about trusting each other specifically. And for our, our fellowship, for your family, for your relationships to be successful and to flourish, we have to have trust. The thing is, some people think if trust has been broken down, in some cases, trust is so damaged, some people would say, hey, I don't trust them, and that's just how it is. You can't get that back. Well, Stephen Covey in his book, The Speed of Trust, would say that's not true. He would say trust can be built. And he laid out a number of principles, behaviors that we can uh, follow to build trust in our relationships. And of course, the author of ultimate trust is Jesus. And he knew how to build trust. Going to the cross is the ultimate act to say, hey, I will do anything for you. You can trust me. But in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, he lays out some countercultural principles. And in these principles, we're going to find also similar principles from the speed of trust content that I've been studying. And I want to talk about these practicals for us today so we can build trust. Amen. And so point number one, and we're only having one point for today, and it's the practical of how do you build trust in relationships. And we're going to go through a series of these in the weeks to come. But the first one is simply this. Talk straight. How do you build trust? You talk straight. 
which is different than talking in circles or this common word in politics or, or business called spin. Talking straight. What is talking straight? And we're going to see Jesus does that. But I want to tell you a little bit about it. The bottom line is talking straight involves telling the truth, but not only telling the truth, leaving the right impression to be clear, to be willing to tell people the truth, even when it hurts and to not spin or say more than is necessary. You know, this is a skill for some. It's a gift for some. For others, it's a challenge. It's a journey. All of us have to grow in this. Warren Buffett, the uh, leader of one of the biggest uh, you know, investment firms in the world, famous investor, said it takes 20 years to build a reputation and five minutes to destroy it. And in his annual newsletter, he would put in there a very clear demonstration of the things that the company had done well and the things that, he, that they did poorly. And he wouldn't say, hey, I failed in this, in this situation. Here's an area I could have done better. He just told them the truth, even when he's talking to all his clients that have given millions and billions of dollars. Bottom line is we have to learn to talk straight. I know this is difficult to not, uh, you know, to not always put, put the, the lens on it that things look good. In my own marriage, early on in our marriage, Carrie and I, you know, deeply in love. And when everyone would come up and say, hey, how's your marriage? I always say, oh, our marriage is great. In our counseling times, how's your marriage? Our marriage is great. Until she would do, occasionally what would happen is she would do one little thing, a very common, simple thing. Maybe it was something like upset with me for, you know, maybe not putting my dish in the sink. And the way she said, hey, how come you to put your dish in the sink? I would eventually just blow up. I would, I would, I would, we would get in this big fight about the smallest thing. And yeah, maybe her tone was a little, was a little, you know, uh, disrespectful, but it didn't merit the sheer force of energy that I would level on her. How dare you be disrespectful and tell me to put my dish in the sink. And what we found and what we came to understand is the reason that I was blowing up was because I was not really being honest about things that had happened in our marriage for the weeks and the months before that. And I would stuff them. I was spinning it. I was like, our marriage is great. Things are going fine. And what it was is she would then lose trust in me because she knew there's something in there that he's really feeling, but he's not telling me. And of course, when I blow up, all of it was kind of coming out. All the junk was coming out. So what we learned early in our marriage, it really helped us, is if, if I would just pull her aside privately whenever I felt any tiny thing that irritated me, or you know, not the tiniest things, those slide, but things that genuinely made me feel disrespected, I learned if I pulled her aside and said, hon, I felt disrespected by your tone of voice, or I felt disrespected. If I would do that on a regular basis, yeah, we'd have a little bit of conflict in that moment. No, it, it wasn't always, she didn't always like me pulling her aside and telling her that. And at, at times, you know, we'd get a little, a little dicey right there. But what happened is she began to trust me because she knew I was being forthright and honest about where I was at. Number two, I no longer stuffed all the junk down low, right? So I wouldn't have these huge blowups for insignificant reasons. They were measured. They're like, okay. And every person has conflict in life. If you live with anybody or you walk around amongst people, unless you're a hermit, you're going to have conflict with people because we all have faults. We all have idiosyncrasies. We all have issues, we all are a mess in the flesh. We all need grace. And so I learned honesty was a love language of trust for her. And it wasn't just, you know, honesty about, of course, I wouldn't lie to her on any big issues, but it was honest about where I was at. 
course, praying together regularly and honest in my prayers with her really helped build that trust. So talking straight, we're going to get into this a little more in depth. I just wanted to see this is not an easy thing. And in my life and in my marriage, and I'm going to share another story a little bit about this further as we talk. But I want you to ask yourself, do you know how to talk straight to people? Are you willing? And I want to give you the example of Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount and some of the strong things he said as we explore this topic. So turn with me in your Bible or just look up the screen. I have it on there. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to go and look at some of Jesus' words and see his example of talking straight. And we read in verse 17 of Matthew chapter 5. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, he's talking straight, unless until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. And further down, he goes on and says in verse 20, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, right here at the beginning of this sermon, he had, he had done the, the blessed are the poor in spirit. We're going to have another sermon about that. And that's powerful stuff. But he tells him point blank, I tell you plainly, here it is. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you're not going to make it to heaven. So he gets right to the heart. What's it going to take to get to heaven? Isn't that kind of what we ask when we're dealing with our spiritual life? What's it going to take? Am I going to make it to heaven? And he tells him something here that shocked people. This shocked him. It took him, it took him back. He says, unless your righteousness surpasses the Pharisees, do you realize the Pharisees were experts in the Bible? The whole Old Testament. They had to memorize practically the entire Old Testament. They were known for having law after law and even human-made rules to make sure that they wouldn't violate the laws in the Bible. They were seen as the top, most righteous, most holy, most godly, most to be revered and respected people in the community. And then Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds theirs, you're not going to make it. That's a scary point, right? What he's trying to tell them is, listen, you're not going to get there through human effort. What he's telling them is that you're going to have to go beyond what you've thought before. He's trying to break their standards. They're humanistic standards. Now, the reality is these Pharisees were probably the best at doing everything perfect. Paul said, man, I, I, I was the top of the top of the Pharisees. And yet whatever was to my prophet, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Jesus was telling us the truth to lead us to something outside of human endeavor. He was telling them this hard truth to get them to realize you're going to have to surrender yourself. And, of course, we know the gospel teaches us that at the end of the law is the cross. The cross fulfills it all. It's going to involve a complete surrender of our life. Ultimately, righteousness is going to come not from our actions being perfect, but from our heart being surrendered and receiving this mercy that God has in store for us. But he has a high calling. You can't even comprehend the mercy until you make a commitment to give it all you got. To be righteous. And when you try to be righteous, you're going to find you can't. And you're going to ask, what do I do now? 
And that's where the message comes in, right? The message of the cross enters in to pick you up off the floor. But Jesus tells him point blank, I'm telling you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you will not enter. You know, as you go on in the Sermon on the Mount, I want you to see some other stuff he says. He talks, you're familiar with this, over and over in this sermon, he says, you have heard that it was said, but I tell you, right? You have heard that it was said, do not murder. But I tell you, if you're angry with your brother or sister in your heart, you will face judgment. He says, you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. Hey, that's a good thing because adultery destroys lives and families and society. But he goes on and says, but I tell you, unless if you even look at a woman lustfully. So he's going further, right? He's going into the heart. He's challenging us to take a deep look. He's telling people the hard truth. You've heard that it was said, but I tell you. Jesus does this over and over again to really get us to own the reality of spirituality. There's nothing greater than a spiritual life. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet give up his soul, right? What good is it? It's no good. And so he's calling us to this ultimate prize of life the ultimate prize you know i'm so proud of our sister sydney who won the prize of a gold medal in the olympics this past olympics two gold medals sydney mclaughlin so grateful what an inspiration such an inspiration and she won this prize you know the greatest prize though far exceed the gold medal i wouldn't mind having a gold medal but the prize that paul talked about is we we fight for a prize that never passes away. And so Jesus is talking straight because he's interested in all of us having this ultimate prize. This, this gift that can never be taken. This award that will never be diminished. It comes by trusting his word. And so he's going to tell us the truth. Point blank. I tell you. You know, I think the one about lust, I just want to say a little aside on that. You know, that's a, that's a challenge. It's a great challenge for him to go after this in, in our lives. And I want you to do some soul searching. We haven't talked a lot about this. Campus students, our young professionals, our singles. And, you know, I'm, I'm in my 50s. But let me tell you, the, the temptation to have the heart that he talks about, it's still hard in your 50s. It's still hard in your 60s. It's still hard in your 70s. My dad's 80. He's not a Christian, so I can hear you tell you it's hard for him too, in your 80s. So Jesus tells this hard truth. You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. Amen. We agree. Don't do that. But I tell you, where's your heart? Our actions flow from our heart. Our actions flow from where our mind is at. Our actions flow. Sin gives birth or creates death, but it comes from our desires. So Jesus tells us the truth. Take a look at your intent. Take a look at your desires. What is your mind on? In church, uh, it's a dark culture we live in. So I just want to challenge us to, to let this marinate a little. Where's your heart? Where's your mind with this? Let's, let's have the heart of surrender to say, I want to, I want to fix my mind on the things that are godly and overcome these temptations and fight these and get real. And here's the thing. Righteousness doesn't come from per- perfection. It comes from surrender. And surrender means you're willing to be open with people. Amen. 
We need openness in this area if we're going to abide by these callings of Jesus. And as he's telling us straight up what's involved. You know, he goes on and he rounds out his sermon. I want us to look in chapter 7, verse 13. This is a hard teaching. So talking straight sometimes is very, very hard. Sometimes you're talking straight to your friends and to family and people. It's hard news. It's, you just got to tell it like it is. And he does that in chapter 7, verse 13. He says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. The ultimate prize it's not easy. It's a narrow road. You know, and I think we, we got to be willing to tell people the hard truths. I was having a conversation with a brother about importance of telling the hard truth. And we're going to talk later about the, the timing of that. But we cannot avoid telling one another hard truths. We need to hear them. In fact, our most valuable teachers are typically the ones that did that for us, right? Students, the ones who tell you the hard stuff, the mentors who really went after you and, and challenged you. Those are the ones that, that help you the most. We've got to be willing to talk straight. You know, it's not only, however, just saying the hard stuff. There's also quite a few kind things. But let me read one more hard thing Jesus says, and I want us to just marinate on this. Look in chapter 7, verse 21. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly. I will tell them plainly. I will talk straight. I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Wow. I remember when I first read this verse, I thought, this is... You know, I kind of liked it because I was disenchanted with hypocritical religion. I was disenchanted with religion in general. And I liked that he's like, wow, not everyone who shows up and just talks a good game is what God intends for us to be. And don't we like, we all like authenticity, right? None of us want to play games. I don't know if you were raised in the church. You, you, you see it and you don't like it. If there's games being played, it's distasteful. My view of Christianity growing up, it was just distasteful because I just didn't see. I saw a lot of false, hypocritical, no real heart, no real purity, and not full surrender. And, and when I read these verses, I thought, wow, Jesus means what he says. He talks straight. He says, man, point blank, I tell them plainly. If you're not holding, if you're not all in, if you're not fully surrendered, he's, there's a high calling. Which again leads us to the cross because None of us are going to be like the Pharisees in that. I'm not going to memorize the entire Old Testament in my lifetime, and they had to. But I am going to surrender my heart to Jesus. I am going to ask for his mercy, and I am going to fight to have a surrendered heart that follows the Sermon on the Mount message with all I've got. But, you know, his message of truth also includes encouragement. I want you to hear that. You know, talking straight, building trust with each other will not only involve telling the hard truth to each other. And I have some, some things I'm going to share, some examples. It's also going to involve encouragement. If you notice, and we'll close out some of the scriptures that I want to read here. There's one, well, I don't have it written there, but I want you to, to, um, I want you to understand that Jesus does expect us to care for each other. And have tact in how we share. And so I want to share some examples here. You know, um, 
Recently, I was in a conversation with Carrie, and she had come into my office and sat down, and uh, we started to talk. And what happened was we, we you know, it's our office, I should say, because it's actually our my son's playroom as well. We kind of share the playroom, our office, the spare room, the, the room everything gets done in. And uh, we hadn't communicated, you know, too much in the, that day earlier or the day before. And there were a lot of things going on. And so she came and sat down. But I had a whole agenda of things I wanted to do. I had called Mark. I had been trying to get a hold of Mark Shump. And we'd been talking. And, and we, we just couldn't connect the way we needed to. And so she's talking. We started to connect a little bit. And then Mark calls. But I realized, oh, i got to get this call. So I, I said, honey, i got to get this call. And she didn't like that. And that could have been more sensitive. But I, I needed to get the call because I'd been planning for it. But then, so she sat there and listened, and when we got on the call, um, you know, Mark said, hey, Steve, and, you know, we started talking, he says, hey, how's Carrie? And I'm assuming she heard him say that, you know, sometimes our phones are loud, or she's smart enough to know what I was talking about. And, and what had happened is Carrie had been going through some challenges. Um, what had happened is uh, several weeks back, we're not sure exactly how it occurs, and nobody really does, but she had a bout of shingles. And if you guys know what shingles is, the shingles is the, the chicken pox vaccine. Uh, uh, if you've had chicken pox in your life, all the young people have had the vaccine, so you're not going to get this. But all of us old guys and older women, and that I mean that old, I think in your thir- late 30s or something, you, you actually, if you had chicken pox, then the shingles virus is in your body. And it can come out. And almost any time, no one really knows exactly when it can come out. If your immune system gets attacked and come out, and it's, it's just, you know, these rashes that come up all, and, and they're painful and difficult. It was emotional. And then there was another challenging thing she had run into, uh, a, a, like a homeless kind of deranged guy, uh, had been kind of stalking her on, on the day before at the, at the, uh, Trader Joe's. It really scared her. And usually my wife, she's like, She'll just straighten people out like that, or she just doesn't let them, you know, scare her. She just, she deals with it. She's so, you know, direct, and she's so good at talking straight. But it was still scary for her. And so she emotionally, we had been talking a little bit about that. That was on her heart, and that had happened a day earlier. And then she was just, she had begun to recover. The, the shingles thing had been about a week, and she was recovering and doing, doing much better. So when Mark called, he's like, so how's Carrie? And I'm like, and I was thinking in my mind, I had my own agenda, and I was, and she was doing better, and. We're starting to communicate. So I was like, oh, she's doing great. She's sitting right there, and she's feeling, and she wanted to talk. And so she is just like, she was, you know, how did our trust look? She didn't feel like I was. So did I tell the truth? Well, she was doing, she was doing great compared to three days before because she was getting much better. But I wouldn't tell him the whole picture. Talking straight is you leave the right impression. And she pulled me aside and said, yeah, that hurt me. you got to be real about that. And Mark, Mark knew some of that was going on. And so we've said, yeah, it's been tough. And we eventually started talking to him about that. But that's the kind of thing we do oftentimes. We glaze over it. Sometimes this is a man issue. I don't know why it's a man issue. I confess that Mark and I have this issue at times. We like things to be real positive all the time. And, and, and I think we should have positive, faithful attitudes. But you can't have positive faith if you're not realistic about the, the full uh, situation at hand. You guys with me? Talking straight is you leave the right impression with people. This is tough. I know for me, I am a natural, I mean, I was in sales my whole life, and I, I'm a natural evangelist. I have the gift of evangelist. I'm a promoter. I can get you excited about the smallest little thing. You tell me one new idea that you're excited about and you let me get excited about it. Oh, I'll tell everybody. I, I'm good at that, right? That's like strength. However, there's another side that I'm working hard on, and that is we've got to look at the realistic side of things as well. You can present the good, but you also have to present the bad. 
Talking straight is presenting both sides and leaving the right impression. How are you at doing that? Do you always want the glass to be half full? Or do you always think the glass is half empty? Because, you know, here's the other side of it. You have to have balance. Some of us in here today are, are going, yeah, this is hard for me too, Steve. I, I relate. I like, I, I, it's hard for me. Sometimes it's, you got to ask, why is it hard for you? Is it you're afraid of what people think? I think that's a lot of it. Like we want, we want people to like us. We want to come off well, so we flatter them too much. That, you got to be careful of that. Right? You want to build trust. You got to talk straight and present a full situation. Some of you are here and you're like, yeah, this is true. You got to work on that. Yeah, I love, I just tell the truth. I'm the kind of person, I just tell it like it is. I get right in there and I just tell them. You know, so does my 11-year-old at times. So does my, you know, 11-year-old when he was three. He'll just tell you anything he sees right in front of him. And it's the truth. Hey, Dad, you got a big belly. Dad, you you got hairy arms. Oh, it's true. It's not necessarily building trust, right? So there is balance, and I want you to see that. All right. I want you to see balance. And I have this bell curve on the screen and this idea of talking straight. Jesus knew the balance. You do have to tell people what's going on to build trust within your relationships and within an organization. However, you also need to be careful to balance it out too little talking straight. It's weakness. Too much, like you just blast out every person in every situation, what you see, what you think, what you know the Bible says. You're not right. You're going to hell, right? The guy's in the street corner. You know, repent or you're going to hell. I mean, that doesn't get a lot of traction on the campuses. There's guys that walk around on the campuses with those signs. Yeah, if you're committing sexual immorality and adultery all day long, yeah, you're not going to heaven. But you don't just walk around with a sign telling people that. But it is true. So there is a a wisdom, right? There's a sweet spot of talking straight to build trust. And that is what Jesus knew. You see the verse, I did put a verse up there, Matthew 11. Jesus says, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So he tells the truth also that's encouraging. Talking straight is important. Church, as a West Side, we have a lot of amazing things about us. But I want to tell you a few things. I want to talk straight about a few things in our, in our fellowship. If you're watching from home, hey, we're just a real church. We're not trying to play games. This is where we are. There's some great things going on. I love how excited and youthful and powerful our campus ministry is. It's awesome, right? Marie McGrath got baptized last month, which was awesome. Uh, amen. We're seeing a lot of students move here. However, we have a lot of students that are a part of our church that grew up in our church. And, you know, they do have issues with trust. It's a reality. We know it, there, there's trust in there that has to be worked on. That's a truth. And I'm grateful they, they are working on it. They're having talks. They're growing in that. But they're admitting it, right? We've had issues of having to uh, reconstruct or deconstruct or evaluate our why. Why do I do what I do? Why? Is it just because I was born in this? We have an awesome campus, but they got to know their why and make sure their why is grounded in the cross of Christ. I'm proud of them, what they're doing. Awesome things. Let's keep working on that trust. Amen. You know, we do. I shared about all the incredible, uh, you know, new engagements. Uh, that's really exciting in our singles. You know, we have uh, Emma's getting married next month, which is awesome. Uh, so excited for her. 
Really grateful for that. Our culture in the West Side, 60% of the households, the census just came out, 60% of the households are single households on the West Side of L.A., 60%. And really, our demographic reflects that. There's more than 60% households that are single here. That's, that's good that we're reflecting that. And it's great that we're seeing weddings. That's awesome. But you want to know what? We have a lot of singles in our church who are, who are dear, precious, incredible servants, professionals. And they're in their late 30s, some are in their 40s, late 40s, some are in their 50s, late 50s, some are in their 60s, late 60s, and beyond. And they've been faithful. And you know, the reality is, we have to look at this. They're, they're, not, they're not engaged. I didn't announce their name. And a lot of them have wanted to be. And this is, this is a pain. This is challenging. This is a reality of our culture. I was looking statistically uh, at, the, at the marriage statistics in, in uh, America and in Los Angeles. And, you know, the reality is men die earlier. And so there are a lot of single women. As you get older, the, there's just a lot of – I was surprised to see over 65. It was something like 70% of women are single at over 65 because men are dying. Number two, it's just – it's painful that women that want this relationship, it's not always happening. And, and I, I want to just tell the church, we, we need to care about our, our brothers and sisters in this way. I don't have all the answers, but I care. I don't have the answers, but I want to help other 40, 50, 60-year-old men who don't know Jesus to know Jesus and give them their heart. And maybe God will then connect them with a partner for life until their days end. And your days will end, and you won't be married when your days end. None of us will be married when our days end, because in heaven, we're like the angels, it says. So, But if you want that partner... We want that for you. And I want the church to know there, there's a significant portion, and this is a place of mourning. And I think we need to mourn with each other. I think we need to care. We need to say, yes, this is challenging. I'm sorry. How, how's God going to work? Because he is still going to work. He is still going to do something miraculous in our lives, all of our lives. You know, to say that your life cannot be a flourishing life without a husband or wife is false. Because Jesus didn't have a, a wife. We know that Paul was single. He might possibly have been married. They're not sure historians. But we certainly know when he lived and built the church, he wasn't. You know, Timothy wasn't. And to say that these men did not have a flourishing, productive, fully fulfilled life is just false. So there's answers there. But we got to speak the truth and go, I mourn and I fight and I care. And I hope we care, church. Amen. You know, as a church, I want to highlight the reality that as a church, we gave $127,000 to foreign missions last month, or, you know, we built up for the whole year. And of course, that supports so many churches. And, you know, in uh, the, the Middle East, we have 17 churches, and it supports churches actually in the, the Baltic Nordic area, which is just a, a like 95% atheist culture. And so we, we have inroads there. Uh, Mexico and Central America, uh, we, we, we give money to these churches to do great things. And I'm proud of you, church. Great job. However, I do want you to know this. Only about half of the congregation actually gives a special. So we, we go over our goal every year because we have so many generous people. And amen, if you're gifted, you should give. If God blesses you. But I do think, you know, we had a number of college students, they, they gave some money. They, some of them gave 20 30 bucks. They gave what they could, and I, I appreciate that. I think that I want you to hear that that's a concern, that, that some people don't understand the world mission, that we're a fellowship of over 750 churches. We're more than just the West Side. We're a part of a family. There are other families in the world making a difference for God, but we're a part of a spiritual family, and our spiritual family makes a great difference. And in my days on this earth, I'm going to give and sacrifice to see what God does within this spiritual tribe. 
And I want everyone to participate. What breaks my heart is not everybody gets to participate in that because something has sort of undercut their understanding. Something has undercut their willingness, their capability, and, and the blessings that come from that. We need to know that truth. Hey, we are a blessed church, but here's some truths we need to hear. You guys with me? You know, as a church, I want to see us do incredible things. I want us to change our culture. I want us to grow. Uh, last night, I had the privilege of going with uh, my wife and on a double date with Robin and Chuka, and we went to see uh, the musician known as Her, or H-E-R. She was fantastic. I was at the Hollywood Bowl. And she won the Grammy for that song, I Can't Breathe. And the reality is, she didn't win that song just because the beat is really good. It is a good beat. I like that song. But because the content was real, and she was talking straight about the reality that there are racial injustices in our culture, and we've got to look them in the eye, and we've got to fight them. We've got to own them. We've got to feel them. We've got to fight against that. That's what Jesus does. We don't only have problems with racial injustice. There are lots of other main issues, and Jesus is the solution. But we can't turn a blind eye to that. Amen? Church, do you talk straight? As we talk straight, as we have the wisdom to know how much and how little to do that, we're going to build a great trust amongst us. Ultimately, it's going to lead us to the cross. And so right now, I want us to take five minutes, and I want you to talk to the person to your right or to your left about this issue in your life. How are you at talking straight? Is it easy for you? Why or why not? All right, so the person to your right or your left, let's have a five-minute talk, and then we're going to pray and take communion together. Amen. Okay, I want to go back to the verse in Matthew 5, where Jesus says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will not enter the kingdom. Of course, righteousness comes from God's mercy, which is demonstrated in the cross. None of us are going to be righteous because we're perfect or because we're the best at any of these callings, although you need to fight to, to do them with all your heart. They come from the cross. So I want to call all of us to remember that's why he went there, is to help make us righteous because of his sacrifice and his bloodshed. Let's pray. Lord in heaven, thank you so much for this time. Lord, help us have trust by building it through talking straight. Help us to remember that, that you told us the truth and then you gave us your life. Thank you for your body sacrificed and given over to demonstrate what selflessness looks like. Thank you for your blood shed that, that cleanses us through our faith and trust in it, that we can be made righteous because of your great mercy. We can have a second chance every day. Father, we love you and we thank you for this time. It's in Jesus we pray. Amen. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.